I would love for you to turn your Bibles to Deuteronomy chapter 27, verse 26. Deuteronomy chapter 27, verse 26, which is also available to you um, on your handout. As you're turning there, uh, most popular TV series have a recap section. It doesn't matter really what streaming service you use. You can use Netflix, any service for that matter, and there's that recap section. Um, Often I always skip it, unfortunately, but it's there. Now, uh, we have, for example, a Star Wars Mandalorian episode. Most of us have probably watched that, and, and, and it has right before the episode, right, previously, which means there's, there's a collection montage of everything that preceded or happened before the episode that you're actually watching. You, you can read and hear the words right before it starts previously on The Mandalorian or really in any TV series for that matter. But the word previously is pointing the audience to the context leading up to the current episode. And so it's the same thing for our text tonight in Deuteronomy 27 verse 26. Uh, we, and we see that starting in the book of Genesis. God makes a one-sided covenant with Abram, an unconditional covenant. And part of that promise to Abram is not only making his name great, being a blessing to the world. Obviously, through that Abrahamic line, Christ will come as the Messiah. But also a part of it is land. Uh, then we come to the book of Exodus. Israel is in slavery in Egypt. God leads them out and leads them to Mount Sinai and makes a conditional covenant with his chosen people. Now, the reason why it's conditional is that, make no mistake about it, God is faithful. He will keep his end of the bargain. And yet, he will require perfect obedience from the other party, that party being Israel. And not just obedience in the sense of like some external moral righteousness, but obedience as a way of showing loving gratitude towards God and all that he has done in his righteous, saving acts and also in his character. God in his grace in this book promises to dwell with his people via the construction of the tabernacle to live in their midst. And then we get to Leviticus where there's really a whole host of laws, law after law. Why? Well, it's to demonstrate how a covenant people were to live before covenant-keeping God, which gets us to the book of Numbers because it rolls along and foolishness really becomes Israel's forte, doesn't it? The generation that God graciously led out of captivity rejects the land that God freely offers them that he promised to Abram because they feared the Canaanites, and so they therefore disobey God. So God in his perfect justice sends that generation to wander in the wilderness, known as the wilderness wanderings to literally die off, which gets us to our book tonight, Deuteronomy. You see, God takes the next generation to the land that he originally promised Abram, the land that the previous generation literally rejected and therefore rejecting God. So here we are. They are on the brink of the promised land. They're ready to enter it and hopefully not repeat what the generation did before them. They are a football team. They are, I'm sorry, Trey, the Tampa Bay Buccaneers ready to run out of the tunnel to step on the big stage for the championship game. But everything comes to a halt. Moses blows a whistle and it's like pump the brakes before you actually run out onto the field, before you enter literally the land. So here's what we have in Deuteronomy. Moses restates the terms of the law, okay? The laws by which they are to live in the promised land that they are going to enter in the book of Joshua. 
They are general and specific covenant stipulations. There's blessings and curses for obedience and disobedience. The idea of obedience will result in the enjoyment of God's presence and blessings in this land promised. And disobedience will result in exile from this land and a reversal of God's blessings by way of curses. So in Deuteronomy 27, there's a list given of 12 curses, often secret sins, but certainly no secret to our all-knowing God. And here's what Moses stresses to the people of Israel and by extension to us tonight. So read with me. Cursed be anyone who does not confirm the words of this law by doing them. And all the people shall say, Amen. I believe our text tonight, when considered in its rightful context, and as it reaches its fulfillment in the culmination of Christ and his finished work, it can be summarized in one statement, and it's this. A Christless people are a cursed people. A Christless people are a cursed people. And from that summary statement, I want us to explore two questions of consideration and hopefully draw from a well of application towards the end of our time. And those areas are two areas. They're divided into questions. The first area is who is cursed and why? Who is cursed and why? And area two, who took God's curse and why? So our first area, who is cursed and why? Again, bears repeating, Moses is writing to the second generation of Israelites on the brink of entering the promised land. Now, when he says in our verse tonight, cursed be anyone, it seems that anyone refers to both the generation of Israelites about to enter into the land and also subsequent generations that will soon follow. So God is making it abundantly clear in our text tonight that since he is holy, since he is perfect, since he is righteous, he requires nothing less than perfect obedience towards the words of this law, the Mosaic law, in order for his people to dwell with him. And don't miss that for a second. It's not partial obedience or somewhat of an obedience, but it's perfect obedience because he is a perfect God. You see, the curse was not simply temporal and that it was restricted to geographical standards, right? It's, uh, the, it, the curse is not like just simple, simply banishment from the promised land, but it's even greater, The curse would be twofold. It's the wrath of God poured out on our sin and death. And beloved, we would be so naive to think that this reality didn't apply to us apart from Christ. So the question is this, in our text and beyond, who is cursed? All of us, every single one of us here tonight, apart from Christ. The human race, mankind, Why? Because we are sinners and have failed to keep God's law perfectly, therefore making ourselves deserving of God's wrath and death. And if you pause right there, really even at the end of our text tonight, that's really heavy. It's tragic. It's downright horrific. We are a cursed people if we are a Christless people. I don't know if that's really hit you tonight, but it's we, not just this second generation of Jews, of of, of Israelites. It's all of us in the same sinking 
Titanic. Galatians 3.10, for all who rely on the works of the law are under a curse, for it is written, cursed be everyone who does not abide by all things written in the book of the law and do them, Paul citing from our text tonight. Or even the very next verse, verse 11 in Galatians 3, now it is evident that no one is justified before God by the law. You see, friends, we are cursed and so cursed because we don't keep the law not a single day of the week and it's due to our sin. And really, apart from Christ, we love it. It it satisfies our itch. And since this is true, the question remains, could this God, a perfect, holy, just God, just let things be swept under the rug? Right? Could he turn a blind eye to cosmic treason. The people of Israel blindly, not thinking about this verse, applying to their future, actually very soon, give a unified response at the end of this text, don't they? The end of our text says tonight, and all of the people shall say, amen. We agree to it. We hear your word, your law, and we agree They as a people, as a community, are responding to this in a unified, altogether, yes, on a megaphone. You know, I talked to John Henderson earlier on Friday, and we talked about this very moment in the text. It's very striking. And John actually said this, perhaps the people should have said, they shouldn't have been so quick to say amen, but to such a truth, they should have been saying, oh no. (laughs) Or my favorite, John, you know what I'm going to say. Say what? That's right, the wise John Henderson said, say what? (laughs) This was about them and for us. All of us here tonight should taste his wrath. We are deserving of nothing less. And so the question remains, would our Lord grade on a curve? Will he let it slide? Of course not. He would cease to be just and therefore cease to be holy and altogether cease to be God. So what will he do? Or, or rather, who will he send? Area two, who took God's curse and why? The simple answer is his matchless name, the, the only name to which to be saved and reconciled to God. His name is Jesus. And why? To save a people who are distinctively, as John was talking about earlier this morning, to save a people who are distinctively marked by grace a people who are truly free in which death will never recognize them because they are a free people in Christ. And beloved, if you're in Christ tonight, never forget the truth of Galatians 3.13. May we never forget it. And may it be music to our ears that never gets old. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. That which we could not keep, he kept perfectly. The life we could not live, he lived. The death and wrath that we deserve to take on ourselves, he absorbed. The penalty that we were to pay, he paid, and he paid it in full by fulfilling the law. Dying as our substitute and walking out of the tomb three days later so that we can be forgiven, so that we can be purchased, so that we can be reconciled to this holy, righteous God that Deuteronomy is talking about. If only we would turn from our sin and turn in faith alone to this Jesus, we would be saved. So the question is, aren't you glad God doesn't grade us on a curve based on our performance, right? 
but instead, as the late Adrian Rogers once said, the pastor of Bellevue Baptist Church, God doesn't grade us on a curve, but he grades us on a cross. Christ is our advantage. He's our plea. He's our righteousness. And so from this text, I want to draw two points. And there's such a a well that you can draw from in this text of application. I would encourage you to encourage one another with this text throughout the week. But there's really two points of application that I'd like to bring out from our text tonight. And the first one's this. Use Scripture to interpret Scripture. Use Scripture to interpret Scripture, especially those passages that are unclear. You see, you don't have to have an MDiv, and you don't have to have a PhD in biblical studies to have an interpretive tool in your toolbox. Any spirit-indwelled believer in Christ can take hold of this tool. And here is the danger, and there is great danger if, if, if you neglect that tool and you simply focus on the text tonight without using it. If you disregard a whole host of, of New Testament texts and that Christ is the fulfillment of the law, how Jesus took on uh, the curse, how he became a curse for his people at the cross, or the freedom that we have in Christ that John was referring to in Galatians 5. We're actually potentially left in two camps. If we don't allow Scripture to interpret Scripture in regards to this passage, we're left in two camps, okay? Here's camp number one. A boasting self-righteousness that seeks to earn God's favor. A boasting self-righteousness that seeks to earn God's favor. Or simply, it's just a boasting self-righteousness that has the itching inkling that says this. God will never love you, so what you have to do is to attempt to do more. You've got to try to do enough or compete with others in the process to outshine them so that God will notice you. And if he notices you, if you could just add to God's grace by doing more and giving more, then whatever, he will not only love you, but often that behavior, it doesn't marvel at God's grace, but instead boasts in the flesh. And we've all been there. And some of us are still there. But it's not only that camp, we also have the second camp, a personal distress that misunderstands God's favor. A personal distress that misunderstands God's favor. And this can actually lead you into the camp of Martin Luther that he found himself in. Luther was miserable and distressed for the first five years in being a monk due to an unhealthy fear of the wrath of God. So much so that he would actually deprive himself of sleep uh, on very severe cold nights, way more you know, cold nights than, uh, than, I guess, the Arkansas weather that we just had with all the snow selfies. Like He would deprive himself of a blanket, and even more than that, to atone for his sins, he would whip himself. Why? Because he got that we are cursed, but later saw the beautiful truth that we receive Jesus' righteousness by faith alone. You see, God opened Luther's eyes to the promise of God's righteousness in Christ. You see, when we let Scripture interpret Scripture, considering Galatians 3, Galatians 5 from this morning and our text tonight, we not only become better students of the Bible, but actually saints who savor grace. The very grace that should underlie our encouragements as a church when we correct one another, pushing one another towards holiness, or just encouraging one another in our conversations. And the last point of application I want you to see tonight is to be confident in your amen. Thank you. Be confident in your amen. And here's what I mean. We have prayed for a whole host of ministry updates tonight. Various people, various ministries, 
centered around the gospel and the word. And throughout that time and times before that, Brad has always stressed this. Use the words we instead of I or myself or me. And for all of us at the end of the prayer, we're together to say amen. We, amen. Well, why? Because true unity is built around God's word spoken. Our amen is in us essence saying to the Lord, yes, let your will be done according to this book. Similarly, that's what we see at the end of our verse tonight. Israel as a people saying amen. And what are they saying amen to? Well, they're saying amen to a truth that they do not believe applies to them because, yes, they're going to enter into the promised land in Joshua, but the issue is this. The issue from Joshua all the way to 2 Kings is this. Will Israel keep the law? And what we find out is this. No, they will do what is right in their own eyes, and we are no better. And so they are saying amen when they should probably pump the brakes and say, oh, no, and not be so quick to say that. We're different, though. Not that we're any better, but we are different because right here, right now, our amen, our amen can be confident because we are a redeemed people. A people that we can say with great joy, amen to the word preached this morning by John. Amen to the pastoral prayer to Ryan Troglin. Amen to the songs that we sing led by Guy and our worship team. Amen to the end of each prayer tonight because we are a people not marked by the curse as we once were and as the Israelites were in our text, but we are a people covered by the righteousness of Jesus every time, every single time, every moment of the hour as we address our Abba Father. My non-Christian friend, if you're with us tonight and you're considering these truths, would you turn away from your boasting self-righteousness because your only boasting that you have before God is in Christ and not in what your hands have done? Would you turn away from your personal distress and anxiety that says, I'll never satisfy God. No, you never will, but one will, and he can cover you tonight. The righteousness of Jesus, Jesus himself, only his blood spilled will do. Let your amen tonight be confident in him by trusting in him alone, by faith alone tonight. Let's pray. We come to you, our great God, tonight, giving you thanks. Thanks for your word. Thanks for your gospel Thanks for your son. We thank you for not leaving us in our sins, Lord, and for not leaving us as a Christless people, a hopeless people. Instead of making your people bear the curse, you sent Jesus to bear our deserved curse. He is everything. He is all that we boast in tonight and as we await his glorious return as he seeks to come, uh, return and, and, and judge the living and the dead. Come to a close tonight. We ask, Lord, that you would just help us be a people unified around your gospel preached, your gospel proclaimed, and as we sing of it in our next song, Father, may you be exalted and may Christ be treasured. In his name that we pray, amen.